Welcome to the Melinda Eitzen Show. I'm Melinda Eitzen. Thank you for being here. So I'm a divorce lawyer. I've been helping people get divorced for 29 years and I have interest and love doing that even though it sounds horrible. I love it because it's helping people through a hard time. And I'm hoping that this podcast will also be helpful and maybe provide some good resources to improve your life. And we have a wonderful guest with us today, Scott Clark with Summit Wealth Management, financial planner. And we're so glad to have you here, Scott. It's great to be here. Seriously, thanks for the invite. It's truly a joy to spend some time with you. Scott and I have known each other a long time, (laughs) maybe 20 years. At least 20 years. I was thinking about it on the drive over here. It's, it's probably, I think, 2001, 2002 is when we first met, somewhere in there. So long time. It's been a long, long time. So, And every year's been great, though. Oh, uh, well, I can speak very highly of Scott and recommend Scott in every way. Um, and the reason we were working together is because of collaborative, right? The collaborative process. Yeah, that's what brought us together originally. I think we were both kind of in the foundational levels of the development here in Dallas-Fort Worth and lucky to be around you and many other people that were just kind of getting it off the ground in the early 2000s and how to help people through a different process. So as a financial <clears throat> professional, what is a financial professional doing in a collaborative divorce? Well, I think um, very similar to the mental health professional who aids in communication uh, from a neutral perspective, aids in the parenting plan. Uh, I think early on people began to find out that uh, finances along with the parenting issues probably could use some neutrality and neutral voice in explaining things and and helping out. oftentimes in collaborative, not always, but oftentimes you're in one meeting, right? All together. And sometimes finances bring up a lot of emotions and concerns with people. So sometimes having the neutral person in there to help um, can can add to the process, I think, ultimately. And money is a big reason people get divorced, don't you think? Yeah, I was actually, actually, my wife brought it up the other day and she saw something that uh, in marriages, I think 90 plus percent of the conflict has to do around finances. And, the, and, and I don't know where that came from, but she, <laughs> I, she, was, she was just kind of walking through how big of an issue it is for many couples and how oftentimes it brings them into your office right initially. Um, just because concerns there, emotions around it, and a lot of different things. So in your role <laughs> as a neutral financial, what do you do besides what you've talked about being in the meeting being the neutral voice do you have tasks and assignments yeah well i I think if if you step back from the if it's okay stepping back from the task and assignments first i I think um ultimately uh when i thought about my role and i've been a little bit disconnected because i stepped out of the collaborative process a few years ago but i remember just consciously thinking as i explained my role in those first meetings was more around i'm here to help people reach long-term financial agreements Mm -hmm. is how i thought about it so um, you know, when I, when I was thinking about it, it was how do I help them in a way that uh, when they look back three, five, ten years, that they go, you know what, I made some informed decisions. It didn't always go my way, but I knew exactly what the implications of this were and why I did what I did. So I think that was ultimately the, 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 yes. how I thought about the purpose and, yes. and, 
and being involved. And uh, obviously, there's lots of subsets, which probably is it okay to bridge into that now? Yeah, I mean, I have noticed in doing the work that not everybody comes to the divorce with equal knowledge or sophistication around money. It just wasn't in their job, you know, or in their division of labor in the marriage. Mm -hmm. So I've noticed that you serve one role of educating. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so if I had to go through, I would really say that's probably part two of typically why people brought a financial neutral in. And, and by the way, when I, when I think about the role also, is I'm really here to do as much or as little as necessary, right? And, and meaning that ultimately the attorneys and the clients decide my role, I think. Um, in other words, what my limitations, what my boundaries are, because it's ultimately a legal process. Uh, but in general, I think the tasks that are typically assigned to me, especially as we get to know a lot of family law attorneys, you built the trust. Uh, the first one is gathering information, right? Every divorce has to have a gathering of information, meaning uh, gathering information. It's typically called discovery, I believe, in litigation. Yes. I always just call it a gathering information. <laughs> it's, it's looking at people's assets and liabilities, right? Mm -hmm. What do they have? What do they not have? Uh, but it's also sometimes in collaborative, if they have children, let's collect some information potentially on uh, their, how do they spend money on their kids currently. Uh, oftentimes a very big disconnect. And, and so we need to understand how they're currently doing it. So hopefully that'll help down the road as they have other discussions. And probably the other one is we need to gather some information about income and expenses, right? What are they, what is one or both of them making? How have they spent money in the past? That's not necessarily what they're going to be doing in the future, but it's good to have a context of everybody. How have they operated in the past? So, you know, that's, that's task number one, but I think bridging into what you were just talking about, Melinda, then it's making sure everybody has at least the same information. Like, uh, and, and I, when I say that, what, what I mean by it, it's making sure the clients are on the same sheet of music, but sometimes it's making sure that the attorneys are on the same sheet of music, right? Uh, because um, family law attorneys are great, but they have so much they have to know, right? And so sometimes uh, one attorney may understand pension plans backward and forwards, and sometimes one attorney may not understand pension. You know, So part of it is making sure that not only the attorneys are on the same sheet of music, but the clients, so everybody's operating from the same framework. So education is a huge part of what we do. Sometimes people are embarrassed. They almost feel like they can't get divorced because they don't have financial knowledge. Mm -hmm. They're embarrassed that they don't know more about their own finances, and they don't even know how to go about gathering the information. And one thing that I love about collaborative is one of the rules, and this is a rule in the family code is, yeah. it's full disclosure. Absolutely. Any information anyone wants, they get, and they're to provide. So they don't have to worry about, they don't know, we're gonna help inform them through the process of what do they have. Yeah, it's truly a blessing. Yeah, it really is where, um, I think in, in maybe other ways of going through divorce, there's always the thought or there's potentially the thought, not always, that's a bad word, uh, potentially the thought of um, is he or she hiding something? Is there something else out there? Uh, it, it's because they're not communicating with each other and because they're in, in the, alter the other processes, they're talking through the attorneys, they're not talking to each other. They can't have that dialogue, right? So oftentimes when I'm in that, like you, 
I'm like, okay, you have a question about the credit card. So tell me what, what has happened with that credit. So we can have that open dialogue as so if people have concerns or have questions about what happened three years ago, let's just talk about it. <laughs> it's a very yeah. common concern. People come to me, I would say eight times out of 10 and say, they're hiding money. I know they're hiding money. It's really not that easy to hide money, is it? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I'm not an expert on that about necessarily forensically, but it's very, very difficult in my opinion. Um, you have tax returns, so unless oftentimes you're willing to commit fraud, it's really more difficult than I think on on uh, what most people's thought processes are about what it occurs. I'd say it rarely yeah. occurs, uh, but I know there's experts in, in, in certain things that uh, uh, are involved sometimes in different processes to try there's to do usually that. a path right they they received a paycheck it went into a checking account even if it went out and they hit it we're going to be able to see that it went out That's, so we can yeah. we can find it or we can assume it someplace yeah, unless correct. they're paid in cash and they stick it in the floor yeah. there's probably a path so people don't need to be frozen by Oh, I can't, I can't go into the collaborative process. That sounds too nice and I don't trust them and I know they're hiding money. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's accurate, Melinda, because you can look and sit there and go, here's past, you know, you can see whether it's tax returns or social security statements, here's how much this person made, right? And uh, how they made it. You can actually track down to that. And, and for a lot of places, you can sit there and go, they had the mortgage, they had this, they had this credit cards, they had this, and it begins to add up fairly quickly, uh, I think. So in your role as a financial neutral in a collaborative case, you're building a spreadsheet. After you That's do all that gathering, you build yeah. this amazing spreadsheet <laughs> of the estate so everybody can see that. One question that I get asked is, gosh, it sounds expensive to hire all these people. But if you're not building the spreadsheet, who's typically building the spreadsheet? That's a great question. It usually, it, it's it's uh, oftentimes, and, and and this is I, I don't know about a lot about the litigation side, but because uh, I really was never involved in, but oftentimes I was brought into litigation cases, you know, six months, twelve months, year they've opted into collaborative, and one of the interesting things that I found is. Um, what happened was in those cases is they had two different spreadsheets. <laughs> uh, they had different information on the spreadsheets, different values for each things on the spreadsheet. So to me, if you're beginning the basis of anything, working with two different sets of data, you, you it's difficult, if not impossible to reach agreement because you're working on different premises. So I, I would say, I, I don't, although I don't know and haven't tracked out the numbers, but I would guess paying one person to <laughs> gather information, to work with the clients to help them maybe determine values and work with the attorneys would be significantly less expensive than two people doing it. And not only in putting together the spreadsheets, but the miscommunication that occurs because you're working off two different spreadsheets. <laughs> you know what I mean? And the complex things that that occurs, so. Uh, Scott and I have done a lot of teaching and training all over the country. Yeah. And we've taught other professionals how to do collaborative, mental health professionals, financial professionals, lawyers. Yeah. And I always hate to tell them this, but the truth is we are fee shifting 
from the lawyers to the neutrals. Yeah. Because before we had neutrals, the lawyers were building the spreadsheets yeah. at a much higher hourly rate, typically. Yeah. So, you know, I'm sorry, lawyers, we're fee shifting, but we are. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, I would say well, part of my concern when I initially got into this work back in 2001-ish uh, was that um, I didn't know a lot of about attorneys, but I had, I'll just be transparent. I, I really had kind of a negative uh, vibe uh, and I, because it was unknown, right? And I will tell you, I've worked with some of the most incredible people, you included attorneys, mental health professionals in this process that have really, obviously people have to bill and they have to charge for their time they're not worried about fee shifting, right? Because they think it's in the best interest of the client. And that's the people. It's one of the sad things about shifting out of collaborative over the last few years. And I'm used to working around great people all the time. And, and to, to, to that point, I think that's what adds on to that. No worries about fee shifting because it's in the best interest of the client. Yeah, and you'll have another case. I mean, that's how I view it. Mm -hmm. If I do the best thing for this family that I truly believe is best for them, and I make a little bit less money, they are going to refer me to someone else. I have another case. I mean, I'm always plenty busy, yeah. but doing the right thing, I think, is what helps with that. Yeah, I'm a huge believer in that. I think doing the right thing isn't always necessarily short-term beneficial, but it's always long-term beneficial. Yes. I, 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 I truly believe that 100%. Now, I know we've talked about this before. There are different reasons people are attracted to the collaborative process, both professionals mm -hmm and clients yeah. and i didn't realize that i thought yeah. everybody liked it for the reason i like it yeah. the reason i like it is the creativity allowed yeah. i mean we can really do something different than a judge would do because the judge is limited by the law the judge has kind of some cookie cutters that they have to choose yeah. from maybe three yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but in collaborative we can do anything anything anybody can imagine and that they both agree to we can do so um what is it that attracted you to collaborative? Wow. Um, yeah, and I'll end up with a different point. But yeah, I, I was attracted um, to it. I think number one, um, I, I just had this passion uh, back in 2000, 2001 to shift my career at that point from financial planning into the divorce arena. It just became into my heart thing that I wanted to serve people in that way. And so I started to explore around and... and and uh, I did some work in lit litigation, and guess what? I didn't like it <laughs> at all. And uh, and and then I found out about collaborative, and um, I think what um, what ultimately attracted me, and it's probably in my heart for how I view my life, is I, I believe that people should be able to make choices in their life. Um, and uh, to be able to do it from their framework of the values and principles that they live by. And uh, I think collaborative opens that door. So to your point, if a client wants to do different alimony or different child support or pay their children's expenses or put college in their decree or split their assets differently, they ought to have every right to be able to do that. I, I truly believe that we should empower people uh, to create their own outcomes based upon the way they see their world. And so that's really what hit my heart issue, right? It was like, this is a process that empowers people to do that. 
at least the ability to be able to do that. Yes, so, I agree. Yeah. Okay, so you've mentioned you have shifted out of this work. Sure. Not because you don't believe in it, no. but just because of your own personal reasons, you're back focused on financial planning. I am, yeah. So yeah. tell us what that means. There's so many different yeah. financial professionals out there with so many different titles, it's a little confusing. Uh, what is it you do? Yes, yeah, I, I think in order to describe what I do and maybe to give the people an accurate, is maybe to describe the range, right? Yeah. And because uh, when you throw out the term financial advisor, it's an unregulated term currently. It has been for a while. And so people have their own frameworks mm -hmm. for what that is. Like, oh yeah, someone's invested all my money. They do what you do. And, and uh, that may or may not be the case. But I think going back, uh, if you go back to the, like the range of uh, financial advisors, financial planners on one end of the spectrum, and I don't think this is a negative thing, is you have the traditional role, which was uh, where I grew up. My dad said, uh, hey, go see my broker and go see my <laughs> stockbroker. And when you're you're 21 and uh, sometimes insurance people go see my insurance person. And uh, those people can be great people and they have good products or whatever. I think that's on one end of the spectrum. It still exists, but I think historically, I think there's still a large people that view, yeah, hey, I got a person to manage my money, I'm good. And there's people over there that do that. And probably the other end of the spectrum is, is more where I fall. Not that this is negative, because I think there's a demand for that and some people only want that relationship. Um, but uh, I do very, it's really interesting. I do very similar to what I do in collaborative in a way. Um, I work with people um, and from a holistic standpoint, uh, I'll, I put together really a strategic financial plan uh, that addresses not only their investments, that's probably 30%, but it's taking a look at how's your cash flow? Is that the right house? Uh, tell me about your car, your car lease. Tell me about your insurances. Tell me about your 401k at work. Tell me about your options. What are you doing? And, and try to help them craft a, a financial plan that addresses their whole financial life, just not a piece of it. And so I, I think I, I'm, you know, this spectrum over here, I'm way over here on this spectrum. Uh, which is a more holistic uh, kind of approach to doing it. It's it's what I enjoy doing, uh, but I think there's a market for both sides. And then you'll find people that fall all the way in between in those spectrums. And not right or wrong, it's just different because consumers want different things and certainly understand that. So that answer your question enough? Yes. Yeah. So these are difficult financial times for a lot of people. Sure, absolutely. Inflation. Yep. So what do you recommend to people Besides, don't freak out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> What's a tip or advice for somebody when, you know, money doesn't go as far as it did a year ago? Well, you know, I, I think two things. Um, um, you know, whether you're coming out of divorce or whether you're in times like these, it's always, gr I think I do it in my own personal life. My wife and I do it once a year at least. It's always a good time to examine how you're living. Um, 
meaning, you know, uh, do I need Peacock, Netflix, uh, <laughs> Hulu? Uh, you know, I mean, sometimes you just, I bring that up only because we had accumulated a bunch of subscriptions and we spend like 20 minutes a day on TV, but we had like six subscriptions. We're like, why are we paying $12 here, $70? It adds it, up. It adds up. It really does. And, and it's a good time to, little things like that. But there's also, is this the right house for me? Is this right? So I, I believe, I think all times, but especially when we're oftentimes a little bit more crimped to review our cash flow. People hate the word budgeting, so just rename it cash flow and then do it. <laughs> and so uh, re-examine your cash flow and take a look at that. The second thing is, you know, obviously in, in times of volatility, which is, you know, 2022 is very historical from a from an investing perspective, when you had not only bonds down, but you had all stocks down. So, you know, where we typically find one's up and the other's down, we had a year when both were down, which was interesting. Uh, but, you know, I think the first thing is to, to your point is, you know, very rarely do you make uh, uh, changes when things are down or off, right? That's uh, so from an investing perspective. but. Uh, I think it's what it is a good time to do always in times of volatility to reflect on your risk tolerance and to sit there and go, okay, this is what happened to my investments. Uh, I don't like that. Like, in other words, I'm not, I don't like that, but I'm also, I don't like that. And I'm really uncomfortable. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like I am to the point where I need to sell off and I, or I, and because what you can do then is you take that data and when things do change, right. Or when things improve, you can go, I can't do that again. So then you have to strategically look at your portfolio and go, I didn't like that. So what do I need to do differently not to experience that next time? Mm -hmm. And so it's a great time to reflect. So my clients, uh, even though they're matched up to the risk tolerance, when we had the fluctuations last year, that was the question, how uncomfortable are you? <laughs> Are, are, are you with it? And if the, if the, if they were like, I'm perfectly fine with it. Okay. Would you be okay with more? Or it's a good time to reflect and go, do I need to make changes when things are different? And cause that's the time to do it is when things improve, which they inevitably will, whether mm -hmm. it's six months, 12 months, 18, 24, it's, that's the time you want to make the changes. That's smart. That's so. smart. Sometimes people are underemployed in their work. And they could look to find a better job, make more money. Sure, absolutely. And what's strange about this environment, it, there are a lot of jobs out there. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's astonishing. I think the the Federal Reserve keeps look, looking for why. <laughs> you know, we're we're raising interest rates, and these things are happening. Why are the job reports so still positive? Mm -hmm. It's it's really an interesting time from that perspective. So there are times and you begin to reflect on that too. Do I want to do something different? Is now the time to move? Is there something out there where maybe I could make a greater income? I think that's a great suggestion. Mm -hmm. The um, Sometimes there's a panic, right? There's a panic move. What's the panic move that people need to be aware? Don't do that. Like your instinct in the panic is go sell this or go pay this off but it really isn't the long-term smart move. All right. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to think about that, but what do you think it is from your perspective? And then if you, well, if you have thing, one, yeah. yeah. One thing I see people do sometimes is in, in the divorces I handle, they'll want to pay cash for a house, for example, mm, okay. and put all their money in a house when they're going to need some of that money to live and 
right now money is not cheap mm -hmm. but when money was cheap yeah. i was like why would you put all your money in a house when you can get a loan and pay you know interest is going up right so right now that's a lesson let, not as good of an example but sometimes they need their money to work for them right. instead of paying off a debt it's okay to have some debt right yeah um i'm naturally debt averse right <laughs> so I, I don't think we disagree i think um but you know i think we've all been there in different phases of our life i'm also 56 and uh my debt tolerance goes way down the closer i get to <laughs> Uh, my day. So, you know, I, I would think for, um, you know, and actually as I'm working with people in their 50s and 60s and transitioning, we try to clean up any and all debt, right? Even if it's low interest, just because portfolio design has to be really different. Uh, but if you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, yeah, I think there is there could be potentially good debt, mortgage debt, right, and 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 things that are positive. But you always got to you always have to balance that. For I think what you're getting at is if you have twenty thousand dollar bonus, right, and you have uh, let's say nineteen thousand in credit card debt. Oh God. Let's just make that. Yeah, and that's a perfect example. Of American lifestyle is. Um, do you want to use all twenty thousand to pay that nineteen thousand out, or would it be better to say? you know, 10, 15,000 towards the day. Let me keep some reserves because I want to make sure I don't have that. And I, my plan for paying that off moves forward. So I think mm -hmm. there's a balance there. Yeah. We need some emergency money too mm -hmm. for the next yes. air conditioner that breaks. That's right. So you don't go into a 21% <laughs> note to the air conditioner person who will sell you one right. and put you on the note. That's exactly right, Melinda. So having a buffer is really nice in, in people's financial situation. So as part of our adventure together over the last 20 years we wrote a book we did yes <laughs> yes we I, I still remember those breakfasts with you and linda or vicky, uh, vicky i'm sorry vicky. we're at vicky please forgive me uh and vicky up at ihop in plano remember going to i think it was i we met over breakfast and it took forever writing a book is not yeah. a fast thing no. but we co-authored it with mental health professional yes. vicky james awesome and it's called divorce the collaborative way is it the way for you mm -hmm. it's available on amazon um and we wrote that to just help people figure out what in the world are we talking about yeah, it was, it was a good time. Well, especially then and, and maybe even now, right? People didn't really know what it was, right? Yeah. It was unheard of before. So writing a book back then was very, very appropriate. Maybe even now for people who don't know what it is, it gives some insight to what yeah. it is because it's so different. And we have uh, real examples from real cases. Yeah. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but it's a good way to just kind of get a feel for it, you know, just as the title says, is it the way for them? Absolutely. Yeah. So Scott, how can people find you? Um, treasure map no uh, <laughs> no um yeah so i obviously have a website that's summitpwm.com uh, and i'm over in colleyville texas right by dfw airport so we tried to find a location that was really convenient for dallas clients or or fort worth so we're kind of right in the middle of the metroplex so i like to say we're 
25 minutes from everyone. So <laughs> unless you live in Colleyville, South Lake, which a lot of people do, but we're right smack dab in the middle of Dallas, Fort Worth and, uh, to make ourselves accessible if, if people need some input or guidance, whatever. We, have, we truly have a mission that uh, I think part of the, 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 the stigma around not going to financial planners sometime is, well, I don't have enough or, or they'll judge me or um, uh, they'll evaluate me. And, and, and our, our role, we, 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 we truly believe we have a purpose from God and that's to serve anybody who reaches out to us and in whatever manner benefits them. And so whether it's a quick question or whether uh, they're in debt or whether they got a gazillion dollars, we're open for anyone uh, to help see what help we can provide them on their course in life and their purpose in life. So that's so wonderful. Yeah. Thank you for being here with Seriously. me today. What a joy. Thank you for the invite. And by the way, happy birthday to Melinda. <laughs> happy birthday to you. Thank and, you. And uh, it's great to, to spend some time with you. Oh, thank the you. So I can highly recommend Scott. I'm telling you, I've known him forever. I know he has the credential and uh, he will do a fabulous job for you if you need any type of financial advice. But above all of that, he's a wonderful person and you can trust him. And people need to be able to trust whoever's taking care of their money and advising them. So please reach out to Scott if you need help. And before we wrap up, I'm gonna give you the tip for today. In a divorce, there is a temptation when planning for divorce to go clean out the accounts. People will even, lawyers will even give people advice to take half the money out of the account. And I'm telling you, do not do that. You are, you are hitting a war cry when you do that that you did not mean to hit. And then it is much harder to settle your case in a way that's favorable to you and you will spend a lot more money on professionals trying to get divorced because the other person will remember that the whole case and they'll say, why did they do that? That's a war cry, I'm gonna get them. When really you were just out of fear trying to protect yourself. But in, they're not gonna be able to go take all that money and keep it. You could go to a judge and get it back if they did that. So you don't really need to have that fear. As long as you have enough money or friends or credit cards to last for a couple of weeks till we could get to a judge, then you're fine. So that's my tip for today. Don't overreact and hide all the money. <laughs> Thank you all so much for being here. I would love to hear from you. If you have any comments or feedback or things you'd like to hear on the podcast, you can find me at melinda at d-elaw.com. Thank you.